In the California Road Trip Republic, we believe you take adventure for a ride. Whether coastal cruising, mountain motoring, or redwood roaming, discover beauty around every turn. Your California road trip can kick off from anywhere. Starting route. But it should always start at visitcalifornia.com. Then buckle up, crank those tunes, and ride with us in the California Road Trip Republic. There's a moment you realize you're ready for what's next in your career. Maybe it's when you're trying a new scone recipe and think, I could open a cafe. Or maybe you're helping a coworker and say, I could teach a course on this. Whatever your moment is, it's never too early to plan for a career that lives longer. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. For skills training, resume tips, and job listings, visit aarp.org work. everyone welcome to the lay the points podcast i'm your host kendall caps alongside my co-host here jordan chereau jordan what's going on man it's so nice to see your beautiful face this is our actual first show that you know we have video because like we've done uh 11 episodes uh, just just our voice and now we get to actually talk to each other and actually look at each other so it's kind of cool yeah exactly how's your summer been so far it has been good. It's been very, very busy. Uh, just went camping, took the kids to Lake Arrowhead over the weekend. That was a ball. The kids had a blast. My little one got stung by a bee for the first time right as we sat down for dinner, like an hour into the experience. So I thought, oh no, here we go. But she was actually a trooper. Four minutes later, she was off and playing with the other kids. So she had a blast. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's been good. How about yourself? Yeah. Well, speaking of the lake, like I actually was up at Big Bear Lake um about a week and a half ago we just my wife and i wanted to go get away and uh just spent a couple of days on the lake took her fishing for the first time on a boat and uh, she actually caught a fish so that was exciting for her wow. so and then we're actually going back like we're that couple if we really like something we'll just go right back to it like within a month um so we're going back for my birthday in august early august so um kind of do the same thing, staying at a really nice Airbnb, but, uh, yep. you know, summer has been pretty good trying to stay cool. You know, it's, I live in Northridge, so it's, it's pretty hot here, so, <laughs> but not yeah. too bad. So, well, that's good that you're having a, having a good summer so far. Yeah. Yeah. Very busy. Speaking of summer, how about, uh, you know, some summer league basketball? I know you've been all over that, uh, with, you know, I feel like every year there's just a little bit more hype coming into the summer league and we get to see so many guys and, you know, there's a handful of big names. So I kind of want to pivot to one of our new segments that we're going to be introducing for the show called Back to the Futures. And we're going to take a look at some of these futures bets that we think make a lot of sense. And coming out of Summer League was just completed, which again, I know you, you, you've you been all over. You know, I'm curious on your thoughts on NBA Rookie of the Year, because we got to see a really nice glimpse of some, some of the key names that we expect to be, you know, candidates for that award at the end of the season yeah i mean going into summer league you know like you kind of were looking at the top five picks um paulo bancaro chet holmgren jabari smith jr keegan murray and jay nivey and so there was some uh, marquee matchups um that these guys went head to head so um that was pretty exciting although uh you know paulo bancaro only played two games um in the summer league and they kind of shut him down which you know like i get 
Um, I mean, he averaged about 20 points a game in two games, but I think, you know, these guys, like people want to see them. Like, I know, I mean, like you're saving him to win what 25 games in the regular season. Like let's see him play. So, um, other than that, the counter argument to that though, and we see it a lot and it's part of the reason why the Rams are now changing what is preseason football, right? They don't play any of their starters and the risk of potential injury and, you know, Fans want to see Paulo Bancaro and see what he's got. I think that the team is more than likely willing to just find out once camp starts and then when the season starts in October or November. Because, uh, you know, I, I think it was they're being a little bit reluctant and wanting to, to push anything. We saw Jaden Ivey. He got hurt in his second game and didn't play the rest of the way. You know, he's expected to be fine, but still, it, you know, there's always that risk. Along with Shaden Sharp from, um, cause everyone kind of was wondering, you know, is this guy really good at basketball? Cause he was so good in high school and, uh, didn't play at college at Kentucky. And he literally had took one shot in the summer league in the first game and tore like a, a like a labrum in his shoulder, literally in the first quarter. So, you know, like, I get it. Like I understand, but it's just like, you know, like how about some excitement for the NBA fans? Like, just like. I mean, it's summer league. It's a really, really big event. Every single year, it just gets bigger and bigger. And so, you know, like I understand from the from the front office standpoint, but it's just like, you know, like we want to see these guys play. It's summer. It should be fun. But I, like I totally get the injury aspect of it. But, you know, injuries can happen in training camp. It can happen any time. It could happen in an off-season workout. So, um, but uh, overall impressions, um, I thought Paulo Bancaro was good in his two games. I, I think uh, just he's just a – a very, very big dude out there, um, like a legit 6'10", 6'11", uh, probably yep. about 220, 230. So uh, uh, very, very skift, uh, gifted uh, offensive player. Defensive player, um, you know, going into the draft, he wasn't really known as a defensive player. So he's he's going to have to work on that end. But uh, I think offensively, he'll be really good. Uh, Chet Holmgren from OKC. I mean, this guy has got a very, very good handle for a big man. Um it's one of the best that we've seen. What is he? Seven one with a seven six wingspan, I think. Yeah. He, what he can do with the basketball. Is and he brings impressive. he brings the ball up and he just like dribbles behind his back and just pulls up from the top of the key and it's like nothing but net. It, it it seemed like every time he was open from three, he made it. So he was um he was very, very good um until he played my boy, Keegan Murray, who put twenty-eight on him. And they actually guarded each other in that game, which was weird because Keegan Murray guarding Chet Holmgren, and I was like, okay, but I guess that was kind of like planned um, by the Kings coaching staff to, to see what he can do. Uh, I still worry about uh, Chet defensively because he went against a Memphis Grizzlies player. I can't Kenny Lofton Jr., yes, who's like he's like six eight, but he weighs about like two fifty. Yeah, he's a beast. Yeah. He's a big dude and he's very physical and he went right at Chet. So just based on that matchup, you kind of saw Chet get pushed around a little bit. So it was like, uh-oh. Like well, and it was interesting in the timing that it happened because it was in his second summer game. And the first one he had that unbelievable debut. Right. And he set all sorts of records, summer league records that had never been seen. He finished with six blocks in that first game, which yep. that was one of the, the big things coming in is how good of a shot blocker is he gonna be? What's gonna win out his length? or his you know, lack of size and strength. And in the first game, it, everyone was like, oh my goodness, this guy's going to be the next second coming. And then in the second game, we saw Kenny Lofton Jr. 
time after time, especially early in that game, three, four possessions in a row, just backing them down, muscling them down, shoving them under the basket and using that as leverage to be able to get layups off. Uh, So it was interesting to see that dichotomy happen early in the summer league. Overall, I was still really impressed. And even though I know I had probably slight, a little bit more reservation toward him in the NBA because of the 190 pound frame than you did. I came away overall mostly impressed and and believe that he will have not only a solid season but a solid career. I think going forward in the NBA. Well, outside of his offensive production, his defensive awareness for a rookie that I saw in summer league was just exceptional. Like just his timing of blocks and knowing where to be and and weak side protection. And then also his vision as a passer, because he's yeah. so long, he can literally hold the ball up literally nine feet in the air and find cutters. And he was doing that at summer league with ease. So, he, I mean, like not only with his shooting, um, he's a pretty good rebounder. Like I thought he'd be a better rebounder like in summer league, but. Um, well, it's um, going to be hard for him to consistently get position like yeah. he would want until he can put on another 15, 20 pounds of muscle, hopefully. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, his, his ceiling is sky high. Like I am, he's definitely like, he was my draft crush for the Sacramento Kings, but, um, I knew that they'd have to trade up to get him and give up a lot of draft, uh, capital to do that. So, um, and then, uh, let's talk about Jabari Smith jr. So I saw, I didn't see a lot of Jabari, um, just saw some highlights, but I saw him play the Kings in their final game two days ago and when Keegan was not playing. And um, my observation from that was he's a defensive great wing, really like can move his feet, active hands, um, just lateral quickness is there. So he's going to be a good defender. Didn't shoot the ball very well. His shot was flat a lot. Um, yeah, but shot 26% that, from downtown, I believe. Yeah. And wasn't that kind of like one of his calling cards was being yeah. a really good three point shooter. So I was kind of disappointed with that. And then, um, I saw his rawness a little bit, um, didn't really kind of was a little out of control sometimes. So, um, I think out of all the projections for rookie of the year, I think he's last, um, for me. Um, even though I think he's going to get a lot of Among shots, the big five. Yeah, but now I can see why he didn't go number one. Like it makes sense because yeah. because Paulo Bancaro, you know, he was kind of talked about as the draft was coming up as the most NBA NBA ready, ready player. player. Yep, that you and, could plug and play right away. Yep, right. And then if Paulo Bancaro would have played four games in summer league, the the two best players in summer league would have been Paulo Bancaro and, and Keegan Murray. Keegan Murray, who won the MVP, announced today. So, um. So yeah, so he would be at the bottom of my list, but I mean, these guys are so young. I think he's only 19 years old. So, um, but, uh, I can see the potential there, but, um, yeah, like I was kind of surprised by a shot. And then let's talk about Keegan Murray, the guy I didn't want the Sacramento Kings to take. I thought it was too (laughs) high for the fourth overall pick. This guy, his, his demeanor is Tim Duncan-esque. He doesn't really, uh, very monotone, doesn't really have a lot of uh, um, um, uh, just uh, character in his personality. He's just very straightforward, all business player. And a lot of people kind of like joke about that, but you know, he's just all business. He's all about, you know, working and winning. I think you guys needed that. I think the Sacramento Kings needed a player like that, uh, that wants none of the the press. He's not out there to show pizzazz and flashiness. He's out there to go about and do his job and do it well 
And knowing your new head coach, Mike Brown, has a very similar style of coaching. He's more about let's get to work, put in the work, and we'll yep. see on the back end, you know, yep. everything that, that comes from that. And now you have a young kid that is unbelievably talented that also appears to be ready. Now, again, it's summer league. They're not playing against these NBA superstars. So it's 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 hard to take too much away. But just from the eye test in watching him play and the leadership on the court that he seemed to be exhibiting, you have to love his chances of making a significant impact, not only on the Kings, but in the NBA as a whole, I believe. Yeah. I like, I think the thing that stood out the most to me about him was he was so composed as a rookie. He never really did anything that was out of control. He was just very smooth out there. And sometimes like games like that are not like flashy. Like he's not going to give you highlight dunks that are going to be, you know, like on, on ESPN, Twitter, whatever. I mean, they were showing Chet Holmgren, like, like a good block that he had or, a steal and a dunk that he had like all over ESPN. And then you look at the end of the game stats, he had 12 points and Keegan Murray had 28 and nine. So, (laughs) you know, like he just goes about his business, but he finished summer league with uh, 23.3 points, 7.3 rebounds, two assists, 1.3 steals and uh, 50% from the, uh, the, from the field and 40% from three and four games. And he hit over 80% from the free throw line. Yeah. So he was a 50, 40, 80 guy. And you, you know, like NBA hall of famers, if you could be a 50, 40, 90 guy, like there's only elite guys. And now I'm not saying he's going to be a 50, 40, 80 guy in his rookie season, but you know, he's shown that he has the ability to be efficient, which that's half the battle. Yeah. And then, and then the last guy is Jaden Ivy that we had mentioned earlier. Um, he only played in, um, a game, a game and, and a half. half. Yeah, yeah. A game and a half. He, injured. He was he was playing pretty well. Like you saw his quick quick first step and his speed. Like when he played, he averaged fifteen point five points per game, four rebounds, three assists. But that's only in a game and a half. So, um, but as far as the rookie NBA Rookie of the Year odds, uh, Bancaro plus three fifty, uh, Chet plus three seventy five, uh, um, Jabari Smith Jr. plus five fifty. I'm fading there. J- Jaden Ivey plus six fifty. And the one that I love, Keegan Murray plus 850. And the only reason I like Keegan Murray at plus 850 compared to these other guys who I think like Bancaro and Chet are going to get the ball and shoot a lot, the efficiency of what Keegan Murray is going to get. Because Paulo Bancaro and Chet, like they're they're not playing with great passers like Sabonis, who draws yeah. double teams and is just a phenomenal passer for a big. And then they don't have like a guy like De'Aaron Fox who can like literally collapse a defense with his speed to kick out. He's going to get so many. I mean, he was he was averaging twenty three point three with guys that he's played for like a week and a half that he's never going to play with, and he's going to play with all these players, really good NBA players that have been playing in the NBA for like five years that know the ins and outs, and he's going to get so many easy looks. And so I think efficiency wise, he's going to have a lot of wide open looks cutting to the basket with Sabonis. I think it's a great fit. So that's why I think like, yeah, like Bancaro might put up 20 shots a game or 22 shots a game, but he might only make eight of them. And then Keegan Murray might put up 12 or 13, but might make eight. So I I agree. I think, I think you could easily make the argument that 
out of those three, because in my opinion, those are the the three favorites as well. Maybe you slide in Jaden Ivy in there as well. We just don't really know enough from what we've seen, and and hopefully he's fully healthy and and everything is fine for him. Uh, but among the big three, especially with the odds at plus eight fifty, knowing what we just saw, I do believe that that's a solid bet. Um, and you can absolutely make the argument that he has two teammates that are better than any of the players that mm-hmm. Van Caro or Chet Holmgren will play with, yeah. right? Between yes. Fox and Sabonis, those two are better than anyone those other guys on any of the other contenders have on their on their squads. So right. they're going to be relied upon so much more to have to shoot, and I agree with the efficiency argument. I do, however, believe that Chet, because of his size and because of his ability both to shoot from the outside and to finish inside, I, I think he will also be efficient from the floor. And therefore, if I had, if I was laying my money at plus three seventy five, I'm still almost getting four to one of my money. Um, I like him a lot more than I like Bancaro. Um, I also like Oklahoma City a little bit as well. They 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 can get up and down, and they have a lot of rangy guys. And so I think he's going to fit in really well there. So if I had to place my money, I'd probably go Chet at three seventy five. But my second best bet, I agree, Keegan Murray on the board to get eight and a half to one after what we just witnessed, knowing he was arguably one of the more NBA ready guys as it was coming in. He was one of the older kids that actually spent a little time in college. I mean, I I liked him for a lot of reasons and he only helped solidify that argument, obviously. Yeah. You know, like the thing with Chet that I would argue with, with uh, your bet on that is um, health. I don't think he's going to play an 82 game season. (laughs) I think he's going to miss some time because I just think that he's just going to take a pounding um, when he's playing against these big strong grown men and i know that like you know there was big guys you know like in the summer league but these guys in the nba are stronger they're more skilled well but i also wonder does oklahoma city despite him being 7-1 do they not even have him defend in the post all the time you know and have him use his foot speed and stay out on quick fours and stretch fours maybe um as opposed to having to you know I don't know exactly I, what they're going to do because, yeah, if he's if they just say, hey, go down there and, and block out and rebound, he's going to have a hard time for sure until he puts on weight. And Holmgren himself even said he didn't feel he needs to put on weight, which was kind of a red flag for me and was part of the reason yeah. why I wasn't completely sold when he said that last month. Um, but, you know, overall, I, I think your, your boy, he certainly stole the show. He, he did everything you could have asked for and more. And to see him still at plus 850, I, I agree that that's just some fantastic value. You know, just based, just bouncing off what you said, you said Chet said he wants to guard more like fours and whatever, but he, I mean, we saw it. Like he guarded um, Keegan Murray and Keegan Murray scored 28 on him and literally like just drove around him one time and dunked. So that would be my only concern, but I do like Ben Carroll, obviously. And um, I think like the thing with Jaden Ivey, like I think Jaden Ivey in his first year is going to try to do too much because he's going to want to try to be the guy, but Kate Cunningham's the guy. So I don't yeah. know. Everyone talked about how great of a fit that was, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, like time will tell, but yeah, I think Jaden, I- yeah, Jaden Ivy is going to, I think he's going to try to come into the NBA and try to do too much. And uh, he's going to have to kind of take a backseat and just fill in yep. um, until he finds his spots and he can attack. But that's why I like Keegan Murray the best. And I'm not just being biased, but I like Keegan Murray the best because Keegan is going to know his role. He's going to know where to be on the court. He's going to know, like, he's not going to force shots if they're not there. He's a, like, he's just a smart player. Like, yeah, he could be boring out there, but he's smart 
and he's going to make the right play. And that's why I think he's going to always be in the right spots. Obviously, like there's going to be a learning curve and, you know, from the college game to the NBA game, like as far as games played. So there's going to be some rough nights, but I just think he's going to be just be solid. He's not going to do too much. He's going to fit in really, really well. So, um, Okay, so we have those uh, um, those futures that you like. Well, and speaking yes. since you're such a big Kings guy, I know that there was another futures bet pertaining to the Kings itself that you really, really uh, want to target. And what was that? Yeah, so I was uh, on Twitter and I saw that there was NBA projection win totals come out for uh, the season coming up. And uh, two stuck out to me. Um, so, And it's both from our teams, which is kind of cool. So I'll get your opinion on this. So Boston Celtics... They're supposed to win, projected to win 55.5 games. Um, that's the highest projected total. Last year, they won 51. and But they also added two, two good pieces to their team, Malcolm Brogdon and Danilo Gallinari. So what do you think? Like, you think that's a good bet, 56 games? I know it sounds like a stretch, especially knowing they, they won 51 last year. But I actually like the over. And, and I, I don't know if you agree with me there, but I'll, I'll tell you why. This, this team that we saw last year that won 51 games, they were two different teams during the course of the year last year. There was the first two, two and a half months of the NBA season where they were still under 500. And then there was the, the completely different basketball team that we saw the entire rest of the year all the way through the NBA Finals. And that team had the best record in the NBA from, I believe it was like January 3rd on. And their defensive efficiency, they practically lapped the field. Um, Phoenix, I believe, finished second, Golden State third. But points per 100 possessions allowed, the Celtics were like four and a half points better than anyone in the league. Like they were miles ahead of everyone once that switch flipped. So to me, Vegas is recognizing two things. One, they added Malcolm Brogdon, which was a key piece that the team really needed. I mean, we saw it in the NBA Finals. They didn't have a, a point guard or a guard that could create a shot for himself. Um, I mean, I, I consider Jalen Brown, technically he's a shooting guard, but to me, he's a wing. He and he and Tatum are almost interchangeable in some ways. Um, I, they're wings to me. They're not really guards that are handling the ball all the time. And now you have that in Malcolm Brogdon. And whether he's coming off the bench or or they eventually fit him in somehow and maybe they pull Hor Horford out and put him on the bench. Uh, however that plays out, he's going to play 25-plus minutes a game and they have someone that can now create offense. Gallinari, even though you know the last year or two he has certainly taken a step back in his career, he's arguably the ninth best player on the Celtics team. So he might be the best ninth man I've ever seen. So between those additions and knowing that really – Last year's 51 wins was skewed because they were 20 and 21, 41 games into the season. Uh, I actually really like the over. I think they almost pushed to 60 this year. So with those additions, does that mean like um, Grant Williams and who's the other guy that you can't stand off the bench? You told me. Peyton Pritchard. So do those guys take a back seat and Gallinari and Malcolm Brogdon kind of like, I know they're going to get more minutes, but those those two guys kind of take well, over now, those guys' I think, roles. I, I mean, as of right now, the Celtics have come out and said that they're planning on bringing Brogdon off the bench. So if he mm -hmm. comes off, and let's just look at a second unit, Brogdon, Derek White, Grant Williams, Peyton Pritchard, like, 
and Danilo yeah, Gall- Gallinari. That's like deep. that's a really good bench unit. So yep. he, now you're not expecting Grant Williams, who really struggled as the postseason went on mm-hmm. into the NBA Finals. You're not asking him when the second unit is in there to have to carry the team offensively and get you 12 to 15. Now it's like, no, you're probably going to get a couple good looks because Brogdon can create some space for you and, you know, just knock down a couple of shots. We're not going to ask too much and just bang and get a few rebounds, eat up a few fouls, which he's always good for. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think those additions are going to make it so much easier on Derek White and Grant Williams to be more efficient coming off the bench. So you like the the 55 and a half the over? I do. I think they push for 60 wins. Wow. That'd be a really good season, regular season. Uh, the other one that jumped out to me, and again, I'm going back to my bias, Sacramento Kings, but I just thought it was an easy bet. Um, they're projected to win 31.5 games next year. Last year, they won 30. But DeMontis Sabonis got hurt late in the season. He hurt his knee and Fox had an injury and they basically missed them combined. They missed the last 12 to 15 games and yeah. they was, and they only won 30 games. So if you're going off that and then this year they signed Malik Monk because they needed shooting, kept, traded for Kevin Herter, added Keegan Murray, and then they brought in um, championship coach Mike Brown. So you mean to tell me like – basically with those additions and a very, very underrated head coach, defensive minded head coach that they're going to only like win. two. I mean, come on. Like to me, that's like, I'm smashing that over. Like that's, we were talking about it like before the podcast to you. Yeah. You know, like we were talking about it, like, and I get it, like I get it, like, but I figured it would be like 35, 36 wins, you know, then it's kind of like, you kind of have to think about it. You're like, mm, I don't know, but thir- I mean, that's kind of disrespectful. 1.5 wins more. And you know, like, it's not like Luke Walton's coaching the team anymore. I mean, Mike Brown, he's coached some of the best Tim Duncan, LeBron James, Steph Curry. Like he's, he, he's been under Steve Kerr for five years. So, you know, like I get it, but like, let's not compare Luke Walton's coaching to Mike Brown's coaching. It's just totally well, and different. Also, I think another thing that bodes well in you hitting that over is, you know, offensively, you guys had weapons and had the ability to score last year. And there were too many instances where the team just didn't seem to put forth the effort you needed on the other end of the floor. Defensive mm-hmm. lapses happened way too frequently for Sacramento and guys mm-hmm. were just taking possessions off. Yeah. And Mike Brown is the sort of coach who's going to hold players, especially veterans accountable for that. Yep. And that's something that has been lacking. I mean, Luke Walton was a player's coach and we've to this day, we don't really know is Luke Walton a very good coach whatsoever. You know, he, he spent some time in Golden State when Steve Kerr needed some time. But, he, I mean, that was, as we know, now what has become a dynasty. Right. I mean, a team that's won four titles in eight years and been to the final six of those eight. So, I mean, how much did he really need to do? So, like, I feel like that's that right there is a massive addition uh, by bringing in a coach that's going to hold players like De'Aaron Fox accountable when he starts just taking plays off defensively. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that could make – that alone might, you know, help – get a couple victories. And then, like you said, some of these Huerta was Huerta is such a great shooter and he's likely to see some really good looks. Mm-hmm. Keegan Murray coming into the league, knowing that the role that he's going to fit into that you talked about earlier in the segment, 
I feel like there's so many reasons to believe that Sacramento, they, you know, I don't know if they're a playoff team yet, but I feel like they're, they're pushing for, at yeah. the very least, the play-in, which should get them in the, I think, 36 to 40 range, in my opinion. I mean, you know, like, and then you add the addition of Malik Monk and him and De'Aaron Fox played together at Kentucky. And so they were dynamic there. And I'm not saying that, but Malik Monk, you know, he had a quietly pretty good season with the Lakers. I mean, he yeah. shot almost 40% from three um, coming off the bench. He averaged about 13 points a game. I think he's going to get a lot of time. And then you get that chemistry with Fox. Like, I think yeah, offensively. Were they like best, best men at each he, other's wedding or something like that? Darren's getting married uh, very soon, and uh, Malik Monk is like his best man. I yeah, believe. I mean, so they're so, really close. And Monk, right. it was such a perfect addition for what I was just touching on. He is one of the better defensive guards. And in today's NBA, I feel like the vast majority of guards don't play yeah. great defense. So it's hard to find. And Monk is one of the guys that does. And knowing yeah. that that was the biggest deficiency of the team last year, I've really liked that addition. I mean, overall, I think Sacramento had maybe, if not the one of the best off seasons, and yet Vegas still listed at 31 and a half. So I agree with you. I think that's, you hammer that. Yeah. Yeah. Them in Boston. I mean, Boston secretly had a really good off season. They didn't really trade away any of their core and they added, you know, like to what they already have. So, but you know, it was funny because I just want to mention about what you said about Mike Brown and his accountability. He is going to be holding these players and the Kings have never had a coach that really held them accountable. So Steph Curry, like I saw a, a um, an interview with Steph Curry and they asked him when he was golfing in Lake Tahoe over the summer about Mike Brown. And he's like, I'm happy for Mike Brown. He's like, but I just want to just tell you guys right now, like the Kings players, they're going to have to play defense. Mike is going, going to be on them. And if you don't play defense, like you're not going to play. So you better get to love defense. And Mike Brown has a very, very like, happy-go-lucky personality but i think he's going to be all business and if you're not going to play defense then you're not going to play so if they with their offensive pieces if they can just be an average defense i think they can be a pretty solid team so i agree so we'll see but uh yeah i'm i'm smashing that over 31 and a half for sure um so sometimes we get into things we see um with sports on the internet or on tv and uh, you either really like love what you're hearing or you're just like, you know what? I'm just going to leave that. Like, I'm not even going to touch it. Um, so this is a new segment that we created uh, that we created called Love It or Leave It. And our first topic today is going to talk about <laughs> the Kevin Durant situation, which is on a major hold. No one knows what's happening. We're all just sitting here waiting. Um, I heard that like general managers on vacation, they're going to deal with, they come back. It's like, can, like it's holding up whatever other deals are going to happen in the NBA. So, um, this is our first topic on this. So love it or leave it. Kevin Durant will start the season for the Brooklyn Nets. Even I with DeAndre, it. even with DeAndre Ayton, um, offer sheet was signed. I, I think, I think the Phoenix Suns were the one team that could have, put a good enough package together yep. to land that deal. But once the Pacers forced the Suns' hand to also match that offer sheet, it, he can no longer be traded until January 15th. Yep. Um, and knowing that, and also knowing what uh, the Nets and their organization and their general manager has reportedly been asking for in a trade for Kevin Durant, Supposedly, they are asking for a king's ransom for the 34-year-old 
often injured Kevin Durant. People, I mean, I love KD. He's a Hall of Famer, yeah. you know, easily one of the greatest players we've ever seen. But I feel like people think that we're still getting the same Kevin Durant of a few years ago. He's had two, one massively major injury, and then another injury that cost him 20 games this year. So we've seen a couple major ones. Defensively, he's not the same player that he once was. And don't get me wrong. Again, he's, he's outstanding. But the fact that the Nets are asking for an exorbitant amount, it made it really difficult for them to find a trade partner. And, and a lot of people thought this was going to happen quick. And it obviously did not. And especially once Aiton signed that offer sheet and, and is back with Phoenix, the only thing Phoenix can do now is awful maybe Cameron Johnson, Michael Bridges, and a handful of, what, late first-round picks you know, in the future, that's not going to cut it, especially mm-hmm. for what Marks is asking for. Well, and they would need a third Miami has their team. hands tied, and yeah. Hero is not a good enough piece yeah. for them to make that deal. And so there's not a lot of other options realistically out there. I believe uh, the odds on teams to land them. So right now, Brooklyn is now the favorite uh, to have him at the start of next season at two to one. Then Miami's plus 325. Toronto plus 375, Phoenix plus 600. I think you could just take Phoenix. You can write them right out. They know they were good enough to win a title last year. Their hand was forced. They, they brought Aiton back. They have the same team that they had last year. That, you know, what happened in the playoffs was insane. The fact that they got drubbed the way they did in game seven against the Mavs. But let's not forget how great of a team they were during the regular season. They'll be just fine. I, I just don't see Miami or Toronto having a package good enough. So I think... Even though KD won't want, you know, he might not be happy about it. I think that's Vegas has got it right right now. That two to one that he goes back to Brooklyn to start the season is how it's going to play out. How about you? So, so you love it? I love it. Okay, so I'm going to leave it because I think the NBA offseason is madness. It's probably one of the most exciting uh, things to follow um, outside of the drama that goes on during the regular season. The NBA offseason is insane. So I'm going to leave it because I think this is going to be one of the most historic trades. It's going to be so complicated that I think it's going to be a four or five team trade to get KD out of Brooklyn. <laughs> I think he probably ends up in like either Mar- um, the the Heat or the Raptors. And if, like you're going to see players from like three or four or five teams moved all over the place because Brooklyn, just like you said, you know, what's being offered right now is not enough. And you're going to have to include other teams that are going to have to get involved to get other pieces from them or picks. So I think it's going to be some crazy ass trade where you're going to get like four or five teams and Twitter is just going to go insane. Yeah. get moved. I think you're right. It's going to require that. And I believe I read last week that the Nets even asked, I believe it was Phoenix before the eight and offer sheet happened, asked Phoenix to, reach out to another team because it just wasn't going to work yet. Um, or it might've been Miami. They might've asked Miami. Yeah, I think it was actually Miami. And they, they asked them directly to start working some, with some other teams to see if they yeah. can make it work. Cause there just wasn't enough coming from, from the heat roster. Um, so I agree that if something goes down, it would need to be something crazy. And in today's NBA, generally when a superstar, especially, you know, in the NBA, that, that's the league that, has given all this leverage to players. In the NFL, we're yeah. starting to see it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, in baseball, we're starting to see it a little bit. But primarily, it's just been basketball where the superstars now have the leverage. And so that has created this position where when a player demands a trade, they typically always get moved. 
But I think the Nets are just really stubborn. And I don't think well, they're going to pull the trigger unless they feel they got what, you know, he's worth, which you almost never will get that. I mean, well, here's the thing. Like, can you really go into next season and just ruin next season? I mean, like, I'm not saying like the Nets are going to be a bad team, but them like with Kyrie and Ben Simmons, that's not a championship team. So, and that's well, the you're goal. saying you think he holds out if they don't trade him. You think he holds out? No, I don't think he holds out, but I think it's gonna not going to be good. And what if he gets hurt again? Like, what's his trade value going to be when he's 35 years old? It, it, it's just like, I just think these players, like when they ask out, once they do that, it, it's so hard to work it out with them if they come back. So that's why I think like, like if he wants out, I mean, you're either going to have to like lower your value and not ask for like literally like insane amount of players and picks. Um, or you just kind of just maneuver with a bunch of teams to get like the players you want. And, you know, like it might even include Ben Simmons getting shipped out. I mean, who knows? But I just think that like the players, like they just, Kevin Durant could make them, could make their season miserable if he wanted to. He could, he could just not try and just, it it would just not be good. So once a player goes over that, it's just kind of like, you know, like, and you haven't heard anything from him on a social media or whatever saying it's not true. Like he wants out, but it's just like, I just kind of eye roll like every time he wants out because he always goes and plays and he wants out. And then Kyrie Irving, I mean, I don't know. Like, I think so honestly, I think Kyrie is part of the reason why he probably wants out of Brooklyn. You know, they, they've been there in Brooklyn for two seasons and what is it? Something like 30 games total, something along those mm-hmm. lines that they've played together in two seasons. And part of the stance with Kyrie and in, in the vaccine. Now in theory, that shouldn't be an issue going forward. Um, but I think there was a little bit of friction there. And there's one thing that everyone can acknowledge about Kevin Durant. And it's that he has that same Mamba mentality of he puts in the work. Everyone in the media for years has talked about, he puts in the work. He's in mm-hmm. the gym before anyone his last one to leave. And Kyrie, I don't think you're not getting that same guy. Right. He's clearly never fully committed. If anything, yeah. he's openly vocal about not being fully committed because of whatever personal feelings it might be, whatever right. the topic is and how he allows outside factors to influence some of the decisions that he makes. Um, and right. I think that, you know, maybe it makes sense that they move him still, even though they, you're, you're going to get quite a bit for Kyrie, especially now that he just signed a new contract. Right. So it's guaranteed that whoever would want to trade for him will be able to have his services for a bit. Uh, so maybe that's what they end up doing. But it, it certainly, it was a bombshell when Katie announced that, what, right. three hours before free agency opened. Yep. He stole the show. It was, you know, it was unbelievable. I don't think we talk about how bad the Brooklyn Nets organization is. I mean, look what they did. So they tried to build this super team complete and utter disaster. And then they tried and they traded all those picks for an old Kevin Durant. I mean, like an old Kevin Garnett an old Paul Pierce disaster, but we don't, yeah. you know, are we talking about NBA history? I mean, what are they like? What is going on? Like everything that they try to do over there is they try to create this super team and it never works. I mean, you have Kyrie and, and, and Durant and it's just a disaster. So, you know, I mean, like, to me, it's kind of like LeBron and AD. Like, you think that would be like just unstoppable, but they're just kind of, that's a whole nother uh, 
bag of worms that we're not going to get into, but um, I'm going to leave it. And uh, I'm going to say that if he does end up, I really like the, um, I really like Miami plus 325. I think if I also they, really hope that doesn't happen. So maybe I'm biased because that, right. that might, you know, you know, make them the prohibited favorites in, in the East if they like Yeah. It. Jimmy Butler and Durant. And then, you know, they'd obviously have to trade away, but they'll get some, you know, they'll still have uh, some decent pieces there. So that's who I would take. So anyways, uh, should be interesting. Hopefully it resolves itself in the next like two months. So anyways, but let's jump into uh, Kendall's corner, uh, talking some baseball. All right. So in honor of tomorrow's MLB all-star game, I decided to rock my Pedro Jersey. Uh, you know, he put forth in my opinion, the greatest all-star game performance anyone has seen, at least during my lifetime in 99 in Fenway park, when he struck out five of the first six batters of the game, including Mark McGuire, Jeff Bagwell. It was like the, you know, the best hitters in baseball during the middle of the steroid era. And here this, here was this 165 pound soaking wet Pedro Martinez, just making them look miserable at the plate. Uh, so in honor of him, the all-star game tomorrow, I figured I'd break out a couple bets that make a lot of sense for that. So when I took a look at the the lines for this game first, there's the over and under that's sitting at eight. You can get it at, it's at seven and a half in some places. But notoriously, the all-star game, despite having all these amazing hitters, they're generally lower scoring ball games. Nine of the last 11 all-star games went under eight with two of them that pushed. So even in recent history, we see a lot of five to two, four to one, three to nothing, three to one, four to three games. And knowing that, and also knowing, yes, we have some boppers, but we also have some phenomenal pitchers. And it's in a pitcher's park in Dodger Stadium with Kershaw getting the start, which is amazing. He's the year that he is having is unbelievable. And it's such a credit to him, considering, you know, the injury history he's gone through the last couple of years and the age, and yet he's able to bounce back and he gets the start on his home field for the all-star game. So for those reasons, I, I really like the under. Um, and then another part of the game, the line is American League minus a run and a half. And you'll if you lay that run and a half, you're going to get plus 170, 175 in some places. So you're almost getting two to one in your money if the American League can win by two or more runs. And I know, you know, people like betting money lines in baseball and they like to stay away from the run and a half. But the simple fact is 90% of baseball games don't are not decided by a run. They're decided by more than a run. So if in my eyes, anytime I'm going to take a, a team to win, especially if it's a team that's favored, I will always, almost always lay that one and a half. And I'm going to lay that one and a half here with the all-star game. And I'm going to tell you why. Yes, the all-star, the American league has won eight straight. So they're on a streak. And that's led a lot of people to be hesitant, including a lot of the money in Vegas thus far has gone to the National League, getting the run and a half and thinking that, you know, that streak's got to end sometime. But th th I feel like a lot of those betters aren't truly informed. From 1963 to 1982, the National League won 19 out of 20 All-Star games. Then they traded back and forth a few times. Then from 1988 to 2009, over the course of 22 years, the American League won 19 out of 22. So we see long extended streaks of one league winning almost every single time. And lo and behold, the American League currently has won the last eight All-Star games. Knowing the length of the streaks that we have seen throughout the history of the All-Star game, 
I feel like you would be a fool to be the one who predicts the end of the streak. We don't know. It might go to nine. It might go to 10. It might go to 11. They won 13 straight that ended in uh, 2009. They had won, the American League had won 13 in a row. So knowing that this streak could go on a couple more years, it could end this year. But I feel like you're a fool if you're the one betting that it will end this year. I will continue to bet the team that has the streak and eventually lose that streak. So I'm taking the American League minus one and a half, and I'm also taking the under eight because we just don't see many runs in these games. And that's Kendall's corner. Nice work, Kendall. Take the American League, people. Take it. Keep the streak going. Um, I totally forgot it was at uh, Dodger Stadium this year. Yes, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. So that'll be really, really fun to check in um, and and watch. I know the home run derby is tonight, so that should be pretty cool. There's going to be some bombs there. Yeah, and oh take my Pete gosh, Alonso. like they're going to have time. Go with Pete Alonso. He's he he wants to win the home run derby more than anyone has ever wanted to win it. He mm-hmm. he takes more pride in that, and he's looking to become the first guy ever to win three straight. And but the guys that previously had done well in this competition, it never mattered as much to them as this matters to him. And I feel very confident, despite the fact that he has a tough draw in the first round with uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., I-, I think Alonzo gets through. And from there, I think he's going to coast and win the third one. But, you know, that's just me. All right. Well, uh, a lot of good stuff, a lot of good insight um, from uh, Kendall. And so uh, we're in the dark days of summer. So, But we've come up with some uh, cool segments coming up, um, like in the next couple of weeks or, that we're going to incorporate in our shows. Um, football season is right around the corner. Uh, training camps will be starting up in a couple, in like two or three weeks. So that'll be really fun and exciting. And we have some, uh, some fun segments about that. Uh, future bets and uh, kind of uh, what the hell did I hear or see segments possibly in the near future as well with some uh, NFL wild predictions. So we'll get all into that. I hope everyone has a great week. Kendall, it's good to see your face. And uh, let's chat uh, next Monday. Absolutely. Parents, when you visit California, childhood rules. If you don't remember how awesome childhood is, just ask yourself, what would kids do? Then pack your fun pants and let childhood rule your family vacation. Start planning at visitcalifornia.com. Your Space Coast vacation is preparing for liftoff. Start counting down now. 10, 9, 8, 7, it's time for a beach vacay that feels like heaven. 6, 5, 4, come explore Melbourne and the beaches. 3, Two, one. It's time for some rocket-filled fun. Count down to your best beach vacation ever on Florida's Space Coast. Launch your planning now at visitspacecoast.com.